Greetings from Lord of Life Lutheran Church in Columbus, Ohio, where we proclaim God's extravagant grace, radical inclusion, and relentless compassion. This is the first in a pair of bonus podcast episodes that we are very excited to share with you. On November 14, 2015, our leadership support team hosted our third Servant Leader Workshop. This bonus podcast episode is the first half of that workshop. For more information on our community, visit our website at www.acceptingall.com. Just before getting up, I whispered to Jen Dowdy, who's organized this for us, that I might have forgotten how to do this, and she said, oh, it's just like riding a bike. And I said, you see how well that turned out? (laughs) Not particularly good for me. Um, Thank you for coming. It's really good to be back with you. Uh, Lord of Life Church is a church that has a mission to reach people with the love of God through Jesus Christ. I have a vision about what that would look like. It'd be a place where everybody could receive grace, comfort, and acceptance through one another, and that we'd be so moved by God's acting in that way that we would share what we've received with other people. We think that the way we're going to do that uh, is by holding to some values very strongly. Um, Among those values, the highest would be that we have unconditional regard for all people. Uh, Secondly, that prayer would be necessary in our relationships with each other and with the world and with God. And that scripture would provide a foundation for how to go about that. And that the only real authority for our ministry together would be Jesus, who was the head of the church. And that we'd have some lower things, you know, pastors and church councils and those kinds of things. But that the authority would be Jesus, the head of the church, the head of the body. And that each member and every member would be recognized as uniquely gifted by God and expected to grow and to mature. And finally, that if we just hold to those things, everything else would be fine. Uh, it's a big promise to hold on to, and I, I rejoice in those values and that mission. I continue to be very excited about the development of leaders here at Lord of Life Church, about this event. It is the third one this year. That is a big vision for us to make that happen, and that your interest in becoming servant leaders for Jesus in the world uh, guides us and guides this team. I want to have some brief devotions. In January, we got together, we lifted up Joshua, great leader of the Old Testament. Moses led him into the wilderness through the Red Sea, but it was Joshua who led him into the Promised Land. And the last time we got together, we talked about Peter, who was, you know, the New Testament leader. And today I want to go even deeper than that. Um, Jesus is very patient with his disciples. And that is really good news for all of us. Um, We have a hard time understanding servant leadership, or what is called in the church the Paschal Mystery, and it really is a very deep mystery, namely that the way to go up is to go down. The way to lead is to serve, and the way to live is to die. The way Jesus leads and teaches is not usually the way we want to go. And let's be completely honest about that. Hardly anyone goes willingly. It's often done to us. We often learn the hard way. Right after Jesus told the disciples for a second time that the Son of Man was going to be delivered into the hands of people who would put him to death and crucify him and that he would rise from the dead. And you can read about this in the ninth and 10th chapter of the Gospel of Mark if you want to go back and read through this. It's really powerful devotional stuff. 
after he tells them this is what's going to happen for the second time, the disciples start having an argument about who is the most important among them. Who's the greatest among them? And I don't really know whether at that moment, whether Jesus laughed or whether he cried. (laughs) Um, But I can assure you that he did not miss the point of what was going on. Uh, So Jesus sits them down and calls all 12 of them together and explains it to them very clearly. He says, anyone who wants to be the most important has to be the least important, a servant of all. That's pretty clear. That's pretty clear. A lot of stuff you can look in Scripture and not understand, but that one is pretty clear. Anyone who wants to be the most important has to be the least important, the servant of all. Like the first disciples, we usually want to be on top, but Jesus calls us to be free, to be happy, to live at the bottom. We want to be the boss. He tells us to be the servants. He is the body. He is the head of the church, and yet he is the servant of all. A chapter later... In the 10th chapter, for a third time, Jesus and disciples are heading to Jerusalem, and Jesus explains how he's going to suffer, and how he's going to die, how he's going to be the servant of all, and how he's going to rise from the dead. And I don't know if you remember how they responded the third time. James, my namesake, and John asked Jesus, of, well, when you do that, do you think we could sit with you at the top? <laughs> wow. He turns to them and says, you have no clue what you're asking. Can you drink the cup that I will drink? Can you be immersed in the bath that I'll be immersed in? Which I think he's just trying to bring them back to reality and remind them, look, you're human, you're not God. The other disciples, when they hear James and John, they get all bent out of shape. And I don't think because they understood Jesus, I think it's because maybe they wanted to be on the top as well. So once again, Jesus explains to them, you know how the so-called leaders of the world like to lord it over other people, and how those at the top like to make their authority felt. Well, for you, it has to be different. If you want to be important, you're going to have to serve others. The Son of Man himself did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life so that everyone might be set free. What a message that is to hear. Um, Jesus offered the world a pattern of power and leadership of life-giving, but which few in church or state or world ever really agree with. And it matters. If only religion was not so often about proving who's right and who's in charge and who's in control and who's going to win and who's on top and who's the greatest. If only the church for the past 2,000 years had shared more of Jesus' bias for being on the bottom, if only the love for neighbor was more important than the love for me and mine, if only leaders were servants, if only we trusted the Paschal mystery, how much sooner we would see the coming of the kingdom of God among us The truth is, and it's what's motivating all of us to be here, is it's really hard to be a servant leader. Um, And we need to grow and be grounded in what that means. But we want to. We want to. And that's why we gather every week around the bread and the wine. That's why we gather around the word. And it is, thank God, uh, why we are here today and why God is very patient with all of his disciples. And that's really good news for all of us. All of us. Would you join me in prayer, please?
Lord Jesus, servant of all, you suffered, you died, and you rose from the dead exactly like you said, and no darkness, no evil, no power, no principality could hold you down. You offered your life, you gave your life, and yet you're alive right now, bringing peace that passes understanding, showering every one of us with your extravagant grace and radical inclusion and relentless compassion. Help us to believe and to trust that, yes, the last are first and the least are most, and that serving others is how you bring your peace and wholeness to us. Be with all of us today. Be with our guests. Be with those who lead us today. Bless this time to your use, your kingdom, your glory, and help us to be like you. Help us to be servant leaders. Amen. The leader of our group is uh, Jen, Jen Dowd. Thanks, Jen. Good morning. Good morning. Um, so I'm really excited that you guys are all here and I first, something that is a first for us is you'll notice the microphones. I am very excited to say that today is being recorded, thanks to Matt, and we're going to put this on the podcast. So people who weren't here, or if you want to go back and listen to it again, you'll be able to do that on the Lord of Life podcast. So I think that's pretty exciting. Um, So when Pastor Jim and I first started talking about the idea of having guest speakers come to our workshops... I was really excited, and I thought that it was a great and powerful idea. I just never thought that we would be able to make it happen so quickly and that it would happen this year. Uh, So I'm excited about today, and I hope that you guys um, really get to take something away from this and take something new uh, that you can use as you lead our congregation. Like Pastor Jim said, this is our third um, workshop of 2015, and I want to take a minute and introduce my team um, who has helped me, who I could not do this without because there are many gifts that they have that I don't. Uh, Denise Yowie and Pastor Fred Weesey. And no offense to everybody else, but probably my favorite team member, Harlan Darty. <laughs> <laughs> Pastor Pastor Jim Wilson. <laughs> and for those of you who don't know, I'm Jen Darty. The purpose of leadership support is to support and encourage leaders for healthy ministry in and through Lord of Life Church. That's our goal. It's what we talk about. It's what we work towards. And quite honestly, it's why we're here today. Um, a couple of years ago, we kind of concluded success that to successfully work towards our purpose, we needed a clear definition of what we believe a leader who followed Jesus looks like. So last Lent, we focused on that, being servant leaders, leaders who serve like Jesus. Um, and then we decided to come up with what a servant leader is. So here's our working definition, and it's in probably the middle of your agenda It is servant leaders use their influence to serve others in their journey to grow and mature as disciples of Jesus. Okay, great. That's fine, right? We have a definition. But what what do we do after that? We knew that we needed more, and that's when Pastor Fred connected us to what we call the SERVE model, or S-E-R-V-E. Each letter standing for something. So the first S is see and shape the future. That's what we're talking about today. Then there's engage and develop others. We've talked about that a few times. Reinventing continuously. Valuing results and valuing relationships. And then lastly, embodying the values. 
So our January workshop reintroduced the serve model to the leaders again, and then we did a special focus on engaging and developing others. Um, in May, we dove deeper into an inviting engaging others. And then each of these topics were determined after surveying our leaders. So all, after we surveyed all of you, we came back together and we decided what we were going to talk about. In May, it was really overwhelmingly clear that the next topic should be seeing and shaping the future. So in June, again, how everything just falls right into place, we were thrilled that Pastor Barger could be here today and help us dive deeper into why, how seeing and shaping the future matters to us as servant leaders. So you all have the agenda, but I just want to give you a, just kind of talk it out for you as well, how today is going to work. So we're going to start with seeing the future. Um, Pastor Barger is going to speak to this, and then after that we'll have a Q&A session. So we ask that you hold all of your questions until then. Uh, I did not uh, facilitate or bring pens, but if you want to write them down on the back of your agenda, and then you can ask them because there'll be time for that. Then we're going to have a short break where we can have muffins or whatever's back there, have some coffee, walk around. We'll come together again, and we will talk about shaping the future, which will also be followed by a second Q&A session. And then we have a really short um, engagement activity that I believe might mean that we're going to go to another room. Um, but don't worry, we're not playing Family Feud. It'll be quick and fun. <laughs> and I promise we'll be out of here by noon or before. <laughs> and then we'll end up um, back in the gathering space in prayer. And maybe we'll let Tim um, lead us in Twister. I heard you. <laughs> uh, that would be great. <laughs> I'm going to uh, give it back to Pastor Jim, and he's going to in introduce Pastor Rick for us. This will be a lot more light than the last time I spoke to you. Uh, Dr. Barger is a 1989 graduate of our Almanar Trinity Seminary. He's been pastor of three congregations, uh, Epiphany in Suwannee, Georgia, which is outside Atlanta, uh, Abiding Hope in Littleton, Colorado, which is um, the hometown of Columbine during the same period. He was pastor during that community, and in Apollo Beach, Florida before that. He earned a doctor of ministry degree. A lot of times when your seminary president is given to you, he actually earned one uh, from San Francisco Theological Seminary. has bachelor's degrees in uh, you know great theological training, civil engineering, a master's degree in construction engineering. Before going to seminary, uh, he spent 12 years as an international executive traveling all around the world, and especially in the Middle East. Um, he's worn out numerous passports, and I've got to see a couple of them already. Supervisor. 13 interns. That's something we're very familiar with here at Lord of Life Church. He's the author of a book called A New and Right Spirit, Creating an Authentic Church in a Consumer Culture. And would you reach in that notebook right there and grab that book and hand it to Rick right now and ask him to autograph my copy. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, he uh, began his term as Trinity Seminary president just two years ago in September, uh, and he is leading Trinity Seminary right now and I believe the whole church, in a dramatic change of theological education, away from self-serving navel-gazing to what they're calling forming leaders for serving the world through the church. Does that, I hope that sounds familiar to servant leadership here at Lord of Life Church and a clue. In short, I think he's doing exactly what our subject is today. He's helping the seminary and the church see and shape the future. Um, had a life-changing event, I understand, in 1997, founded and served as chair of a Haitian Timon Foundation, which is a group that connects with uh, children in Haiti and helps makes for better better lives for everyone. Uh, most importantly, he's married to Harriet. 
they have two children, I think five grandchildren, is that right? Six grand, five grandchildren, at least one's on a coffee cup, immortalized. Uh, I did not know Rick until I came to seminary two years ago. I had his book already by then. I didn't run out and buy that book just for today. I had already read it. Uh, and when I found out that Rick Barger was going to be the seminary president, I started asking people, uh, who's Rick Barger? What do you know about him? And I just be really candid. Just said, people loved him and people hated him. <laughs> and there was nobody in the middle. And I immediately thought to myself, now that is a good leader, <laughs> a really good leader. Uh, he's focused. I would ask him, so what is it you like or what is it you don't like? And I found it's very interesting. They said exactly the same thing. They said he's really focused. He gets things done. Doesn't waste time with trivia. I knew at that point I was going to like this guy before I even met him. Uh, Ann and I have been blessed to get to know Rick and Harriet, to serve them as one of their pastors in this new stage of their lives. And as recently as Thursday night, uh, to be cared for by them. To came home from my first council meeting and got an email to say, you know our prayers tonight. I know you're getting back into the mode. Truth is, and I'll say this with lots of pride, I've been a pastor longer than you, Rick Barger. <laughs> but I do look up to you as my big brother in faith. And just not to say all nice things, his one glaring weakness <laughs> is an indefinable the fatigable passion for his alma mater, the North Carolina State Wolf Pack. You can, you can find their house in Bexley, just drive around, and you see this big wolf pack flag out in front of their house. First thing he said this morning, did you hear what happened to my basketball team? Second thing he said was, Florida State plays the wolf pack at 1230, and I'll be out here by noon. Uh, I love that kind of passion for sports. It's just unfortunately misguided. <laughs> Rick, uh, we are really, <laughs> yeah, as a lot of pastors suffer from, <laughs> uh, Rick, uh, we are really thankful that you are here today to be with us. Um, we're truly blessed um, to have leaders like you in the church and to help us be better leaders. So thanks for being here today. Cheers. Well, what's happening, Lord of Life? You're supposed to say we are. So let's try this. We are. What's happening, Lord of Life Church? We are. Okay, you got it. Um, I am. What do I need to do? Pause. <laughs> well, our team got blown out in its first basketball game last night by Bill and Mary, uh, William and Mary. That really is a college. It's not a couple. Uh, uh, it really, you know, is not a, a mixed basketball team. They have a women's team and a men's team. We got blown out in our own PNC arena, uh, which is like, um, you know, we're always in the top five of the country home uh, court basketball attendance uh, by William and Mary. The uh, first time we lost a home opening game in years. Our coach stood up after his press conference. He said, I want to assure everybody we have practice this year. <laughs> it might not look like it. So, um, we, we good to go? We're good to go. All right. Okay. So it is a, it is a privilege to be here. We might want to turn a couple of lights down because to make sure the resolution on this screen is better. It's on my shoulder, kind of like a bird. All right. Um, so uh, it's really good to be here. I want you to know that uh, when Harriet and I uh, came to uh, the area in the summer of 2013, 
um, uh, we started going around and, and visiting churches. And then, of course, I get invited to speak all the time because I'm the new seminary president and they want to see this person. Uh, but we uh, uh, got to a crisis in our lives. Uh, it's hard being a pastor and not being a pastor anymore. Um, uh, I didn't ask for the job at Trinity. Uh, they found me uh, when I came home uh, and uh, told Harriet that somebody called me while I was driving on the road and told me that I had been nominated to be the next president of Trinity Lutheran Seminary. She walked around the kitchen silent for about three minutes and then turned and looked at me and said, why would somebody want to do that to you? And uh, 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 after a period of time, we said yes, leaving two children two, uh, uh, and their spouses and five grandchildren to come, come to Columbus, Ohio, uh, not because we don't love our grandchildren, but we love them enough to take this job because I don't like the world that they're growing up in, and I hope that you don't like it either, and you can do something about that today. Um, uh, I've had uh, a love-hate relationship with the church, and the church has had a love-hate relationship with me. Um, uh, I, you might say it's a lover's quarrel that I have because I think that the people deserve better than what they're getting. I think our world deserves better than what they're getting. I think we have hope for the world, and uh, uh, why don't we act like it? So um, uh, how? what can we do? Uh, to make the world and remake it into the image of Jesus. So I'm very happy to be here, and we chose you uh, to be our congregation. We're members here, you know. We we we're, we are a part of you, so uh, it's good to be able to do this for uh, own congregation. Uh, so we're going to be talking about, can you all see this, or do I need to get out of the way? Uh, uh, talking about uh, seeing and shaping the future and the first part of this is going to be seeing the future, God's uh, coming kingdom, and why it matters, and why it matters. So um, uh, as long as uh, for almost 20 years, uh, when gotten together as a pastor with young people, uh, whether it's uh, doing confirmation, which is my favorite part of doing being a pastor, or youth retreats or whatever, uh, but with kids in Haiti, always start every meeting with, with this litany, so... I want to start it with you, so uh, we're going to do this. Who are we? Why are we here? To be disciples. What do we say? He is risen. And what do we offer? Hope for the world. Okay, there you go. So how do we offer hope for the world? Um, that the church even claims to offer hope for the world is an audacious claim in these days. In a landscape of churches that are dying, uh, in, a, in, in a church that can't get its act together, and in a world that is terribly, terribly broken. Um, last night rocked me to the core um, for multiple reasons. Um, just because it's awful, uh, having spent time in the Middle East, I've seen some bad things, uh, but... Uh, certainly the most traumatic uh, day of my life uh, was when I was driving between my congregation and going to visit another one in Littleton, Colorado, and my uh, secretary uh, person, my assistant, called me on the phone uh, and uh, said, there's somebody from Columbine calling you, uh, and she patched her into my phone, and it was a young uh, teenager's voice that was screaming, Pastor Rick, Pastor Rick, come quickly, it's awful. And uh, so I was the first person at the school, got there with the police. 
and uh, spent the entire, uh, and it was the whole story. So last night, I mean, how, how we talked about after Columbine that we would be so shaken to the core after, uh, with what happened there that we would be able to begin uh, to mark time uh, with B.C. and A.C., B.C. being before Columbine and A.C. being after Columbine, that we would be so rattled by what happened uh, that we would all commit ourselves to be less self-centered and more focused on others, which is the ethic, you know, the whole essence of servant leadership. And, um, you know, this this whole conversation about leadership, uh, we live in in a, in a culture that, that, that continues to believe in a failed idea that all an organization needs is all a team that needs as a leader is some uh, just get the right leader that's generally understood to be powerful, uh, charismatic, uh, uh, persuasive, uh, in control, and uh, that everything uh, will take care of itself. And that's not what true servant leadership is. I like the definition you have. Because true servant leaders don't lead by manipulation. Uh, they lead by inspiration. Uh, they don't control people. They unleash people. Uh, they don't manage people. They, they invest in people. They don't employ people. They deploy people. So it's a whole different model of how it is, and it's done by vision and inspiration. And uh, I hope maybe I can move the needle here today a little bit on how you think of yourselves. Uh, so um, for us to talk about hope, is audacious, and so it's a good reminder that our hope is really not about us. It's about what it's about God, and uh, we proclaim what God has done and is doing and what is promised. That's who we are, and as the church, we don't bring the kingdom in, despite those who think that we can. That we live as a witness to it, as a sign to it. That we order our lives in light of what we believe and what we've heard and what is promised. And that we live that way, and living as this witness, the church begins to change the world. Uh, that that's who we are uh, as people of God. So as the church, uh, we're always confronted with two stories, two meta-narratives, uh, ways of seeing the world. Uh, because we're the church, uh, we, 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 we have the world story, and we have the church's story, and those two cannot be the same. Now, Emperor Constantine, before Emperor Constantine, the church understood that, and it organized its life around that. But after Emperor Constantine, if you read church history in the early part of the 4th century, uh, got this conversion experience, but it really wasn't about be, devoting himself to Christ and being a true servant leader. That wasn't Emperor Constantine. Uh, uh, it, it, it is that he thought that the Christian God might be good for him and that he could get God on his side which is having it uh, flip backwards. So I want to uh, talk about just a minute from an experience that uh, uh, in our lives that we had about what does it mean to live with two stories. Um, in um, December of 1978, um, Harriet and I lived uh, on uh, Agdasi Street uh, in the uh, Niavaran section of Tehran, Iran. And uh, we had two small children uh, Robert was uh, four years old, and Elizabeth was uh, about six, six months, seven months, and nine months at this time. And uh, all this revolution stuff was going on, and we were under a curfew. And um, uh, sometimes I get phone calls at home uh, from somebody with, with all these threats. 
there was a, a mobile oil executive down the street that uh, somebody firebombed his house. Uh, I had uh, 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 death threats on my car, and uh, I had a bumper sticker on the back of it. Uh, this was when uh, we had beaten the University of North Carolina, NC State, in basketball 17 straight times. You probably don't remember that. <laughs> Of uh, uh, 17 straight times back there in the area, David Thompson, Tommy Burleson, and all that. And uh, so uh, in, in their humility, the University of North Carolina used to say, well, well I'd r rather be in Chapel Hill. So I had a bumper sticker on my car in, in Iran. I had a red car, and it said, if you'd rather be in Chapel Hill, then get the hell out of Raleigh. So uh, this is what the bumper sticker said. And um, so when I would get these death threats, I didn't know whether it was because I was an American or some Duke grad or, or, or Carolina <laughs> fan that was putting this on my car. But this was the way, way, way life would be. And then every night there would be a curfew and they would cut the power. Um, and so uh, on Christmas Eve, we would have normally uh, gone to this uh, uh, Lutheran church, German Lutheran church that had an English service. Uh, but we were in our home uh, with our children, and uh, every night the same thing happened, uh, and we were sitting around the Christmas tree and uh, uh, singing Christmas carols. And what, what happened every night, and particularly on this night, is that uh, as the sun would go down and it would get dark and we would be after curfew, that the revolutionaries would take to the street outside of our uh, where we live. We lived about you know, a quarter of a mile from the Shah's palace, and they would start uh, just taking to the streets, uh, shouting death to the Shah, death to America, and all this violent stuff. Well, down the street from where we were, uh, going this way, about six kilometers, was one of the Shah's military bases. And uh, we would hear then a military transport truck blah, 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 outside our, our door uh, and street, and then uh, we would start hearing all this mayhem out in the street, machine gun fire, screaming, all this kind of stuff while we had these two small children. So we would hold them in our arms and sing Christmas carols as loud as we could. Hark the herald angels sing! Uh, or, you know, silent night, holy night. And I tell this story, all is calm, all is bright, that in that moment, Two stories are being told, and both of them can't be true. There's a story that's been told in the streets. It was told last night in Paris. It's as old as Cain killing his brother Abel. That might makes right. Who has the most power? Who has the most resources? Who's in control? It has never been resolved whether it's in Paris or it's a parent fighting with a 13-year-old teenager, whether it's office politics, church politics, or wherever it is, it has never, ever been resolved. And we hold hatred, we hold grudges, we label people, we exclude people. It, it, it is a story that has never, ever been resolved. And then there's the story that we have in our Christmas carols, you know, uh, uh, I love the third verse of this hymn. It's my favorite, you know, Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. Light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. Got a resurrection uh, song at uh, Christmas. Uh, 
Mild delays his glory by servant leadership. Born that we no more may die. Born to raise each child of earth. Born to give a second birth. Hark the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. Or, or silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright, even when it isn't uh, in Tehran that night or in Paris last night. So only one of these stories can be true. What's happened is we've tried to make them together in the aftermath of what Constantine did to Christianity. And part of the struggle in the church is to pull them apart so that we can be this authentic church in the culture in which we are. So the question we have to ask is, which one really gets our allegiance? Which one grabs us deep down in our bones uh, that we're willing to give ourselves to? Which one are we willing to organize ourselves around? Which one are we willing to be to be a witness to? How are we going to behave differently in light of this? And so this is, we're always confronted with this, and this is what it means to to bear witness to the coming kingdom of what it is that God is doing. I mean, the gospel changes everything. The gospel changes everything. The human predicament, which is the world's predicament, is, is, that, is that the problem with the past we can't undo. There's not one thing that I can do about what happened uh, 30 seconds ago. Some of you know that experience. Um, uh, of opening your mouth, saying something, and going, boy, I'd like to wind that back in. Uh, a, a fight, a, a hateful thing said to somebody, or just a failure, or a feeling of betrayal. There's not one thing we can do about that. Sense of loss, sense of grief. Uh, there's not one thing that we can do about that. Uh, But what the gospel does is it frees us from this past we can't undo because God binds it all up, heals it. But also uh, that the problem with the human condition is that we have a future that we can't control even though we think that we can. Uh, And so this is a human dilemma to be caught uh, in this this, uh, 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 dilemma between this tension between a past that we can't undo and a future that we can't control. And so what the gospel does, it doesn't fix it. It doesn't fix the dilemma. It enters into it and calls us to live differently because of it in light of these two things that we can't undo and that we can't control. The gospel changes everything. I mean, the message is, uh, uh, here's the empty tomb, put another way, that the resurrection uh, changes everything. Um, which means that Jesus' resurrection from the dead in terms of undoing the past and, and, and having us free from uh, having to control the future is that at, it's already over, that God has already overcome everything that would crush us, fragment us, cheapen us, and demean us. It is already over, uh, that the worst thing that could possibly happen to us will not be the last thing. It is over. This is what we mean that the victory has already been won. And so uh, we, don't, we don't see the future uh, with, with clarity, but we, we, we know the outcome to everything. And this is what it means to be a witness. And so uh, God sent Jesus into the world to die on the cross and rise from the dead, not to let us off the hook. This is the challenge that a congregation like Lord of Life of accepting all and all means all has with the world because we've got 
these read the national study on youth and religion uh, uh, read read other studies you know 76% of north americans believe that god that 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 what the church has to proclaim is that god has a chip on his shoulder uh, or her shoulder and just can't wait to come back uh, take a few really ardent believers and then destroy the world uh, uh, and and that this is what uh, this is about and that Jesus comes and that somehow this is a deal where if we just believe in Jesus, accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, whatever it is, that God will let us off the hook because uh, of our sin and brokenness, whatever it is. Uh, 76%, I'm not saying that 76% believe that, but they believe that that's what, is what the church uh, teaches and what the gospel proclaims. And so you've got all kinds of people who have been injured uh, uh, that they won't, won't come within, you know, any chance of ever walking through the door of a church because they've been hurt, they've been ostracized, they've been put down uh, because of this idea that somehow uh, because I'm a, 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 a Christian and a follower of Jesus that I'm better than you. Uh, you know, uh, you ever seen the T-shirt? You know, Lord Jesus, would you please save me from some of your followers? So, uh, you know, that we have this, this is that the church is, is, that this is not some sort of deal that God makes with us. That what the cross and the empty tomb does is to let us in on Jesus uh, and what God is up to and invite us into God's alternative future. It is to invite us and let us in on on God, to let us in on the very heart of God. Uh, you know, people who say, uh, you know, that, that, that this, this whole belief system is that, you know, we need to in, uh, confess our sins. Now, you need to know that, that I got saved by Pat Robertson when I was 14 years old. I went to an all-male uh, college uh, preparatory school, and he was our religious emphasis speaker, and we all colluded that we weren't going to listen to him. Uh, but... Monday, he got our attention. Tuesday, there was a buzz going on in the in the dormitories. Wednesday night, we were scared to death. And so Thursday, when he called an altar call, we all stampeded down to the front of the chapel. And I got water poured on my head, and uh, I was, you know, saved then. And uh, you know what? Uh, uh, two weeks later, I'm still thinking the same thoughts that a 14-year-old boy at an all-male uh, boys' school does. Uh, so... Uh, uh, it, it was, but we people, they have this, uh, you know, God invite Jesus into my heart. Um, you know, I take 80 milligrams of Lipitor at night. Uh, I mean, that is cruel and unusual punishment to ask Jesus to come swim around in all this cholesterol and medication <laughs> and uh, lisinopril and, and uh, 84 milligrams of aspirin and all this stuff that I take, you know, to, in order to be able to stand up here. You know, this is that that's, we got this little microscopic Jesus that is my little personal Savior. And there's none of that. None of that is biblical. Are you aware of that? Amen. It's not biblical. It's not even in the Scriptures. This old left behind rapture stuff. Look it up. It's not even in the Scriptures. It was made up in the 1830s with somebody in Scotland. 
uh, by the name of Darcy who was upset that, you know, the church was losing its traction in the world. So, well, let's invent something of that. That'll be good. Uh, and just came up with this stuff that has become a great big business. You know, instead of a clock in the back to tell the guest speaker what time you're supposed to shut up and sit down, that there's, uh, uh, we have clocks in Houston, Texas, and this great big, you know, 20,000-seat sanctuary. That's a doomsday clock counting down to when God's going to destroy the world and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, but the gospel is, is that God comes to let us in on God. That the point is to draw us into God's heart. Jesus gets lifted up in John 12 that says, when I'm lifted up, I will draw all people into myself. There's not one thing in there about somehow that Jesus is supposed to be our personal uh, 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 butler or whatever. So um, tomorrow, uh, which was my assignment in in our text, uh, uh, let us hold fast during a troubling time, uh, uh, not not too much. Uh, You saw all the carnage. Uh, in Paris, uh, there was carnage in Jerusalem, people wondering about uh, their world, um, and the church now is in trouble and questioning. And so Paul, uh, well, the writer of Hebrews, uh, Paul's dead by then, This is uh, says, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope, the content of our hope. And hope is not wishful thinking. It's not wishful thinking that my Wolfpack is going to beat Florida State this afternoon <laughs> is wishful thinking. Uh, but this, is, this hope is really, the, it would be our expectation. I expect sunrise in the morning because we know it will. So this is what the author is talking about, an absolute guaranteed expectation without wavering. For the one who has promised is faithful. Actually, the translation is backward. Uh, in order for emphasis, the writer says faithful is the one who has promised. Uh, and faithful is not uh, about being true and, and, and trustworthy. Uh, the word here, the way it is in the Greek, means that this one who is faithful has put a stake in the ground and has claimed the world and has claimed you unconditionally. And that this one, love and life, win in the end. And that's the content of the hope uh, to which uh, we are to cling to. Uh, Isaiah 25 um, is my favorite passage in all of Scripture. Um, Let me see if I can find it. I know it by heart, but I'm going to read it anyway. This is, this is content. And when you read the scriptures and you say, you know, what's the kingdom of, of heaven like or what's the kingdom of God like? Uh, it's always done with poetry. You know, it's not, it's not done with a, a memo or a PowerPoint. It's done with poetry. It's done with images of what it is. And so... This is, the, this is this great image where the, where the prophet writes, On this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all people, for all peoples. All means all. For the life of me, I can't understand why any uh, worshiping community would exclude anybody from the Eucharist. Does all mean all? 
children, infants. When I was a pastor, I communed to everybody. Muslims, Hindus, whatever. Everybody's invited because of the vision. Um, a rich, a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wines, uh, a, food, a rich food filled with marrow, all this stuff that now they're saying will kill us, uh, of well-aged <laughs> wines, strain clear. Uh, wonderful. Uh, up at 160 milligrams of Lipitor. <laughs> and he will destroy on this mountain the shroud that's cast over all nations. Um, uh, all people, the sheet that is spread over them. Uh, he will swallow up death forever. My last uh, uh, time as uh, taking uh, confirmation kids to Camp Luther Rock uh, was standing in a room with all the kids on a Thursday night and said, just get in, in a circle uh, in groups and talk with one another. What is it that you would like for God to swallow up in your life? Three hours later, they're still hugging each other and praying with one another and crying with one another because our kids and the world in which way they live in um, needs to be transformed. Uh, then the Lord God will wipe away the tears from all faces and the disgrace of his people he'll take away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken. It's over. It will be said on that day, this is our God. We have waited for him so that he might save us. This is the Lord for whom we have waited. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation, for the hand of the Lord will rest on this mountain. And here, in terms of salvation, it's not about getting to another place. It's about getting to another existence that God brings in this. And that this is the hope. If this is the way it is, we're going to talk about that in round two. Uh, but Jesus the Christ comes along, and he embodies every bit of that. That his ministry is... Is, it has that in, in, in Jesus' very DNA as he goes about healing uh, and binding up the broken and, and giving sight to the blind and raising the dead uh, and, and that we have this audacious God filled with so much grace that we have a God that forgives the unforgivable and loves the unlovable. And so, you know, they put him on a cross. Uh, we have that. So the power, the church birthed by the power of the Spirit then is not an institution. That was the empire's idea. It's not a club. Uh, we've all experienced Lutheranism, where Lutheranism about eating lutefisk and doing uh, Ole and Spin jokes. Uh, uh, it's a movement. It's a movement that lives as a sign that points to what God is up to in the world. Uh, lives as a contrast society. Lives out of a different story orders his life differently than the world orders it, lives as a witness to the resurrection, means the resurrection has grasped it, motivates it, uh, inspires it, shakes it, uses it, uh, that it points to that, knows that, uh, you know, when trouble comes because the tomb is empty, it's not what happens to us that gets us, it's how we take it. Uh, and um, uh, resurrection calls us to always take everything with hope. Um, um, uh, one of the reasons that I live in tension with a lot of people in the church is that I just refuse to live by fear. What's, what's the biggest, uh, most frequent command in all the scriptures? Don't be afraid. 
uh, that if the tomb is empty, we are compelled, no matter what the world throws at us, to be hopeful, joyful, thankful, uh, embracing people. Uh, and so I'll leave this up for questions. I got it right there, 10 o'clock. <laughs> 30 minutes. So my, my assignment was to point you to the future that God brings about. And Isaiah 25 is the closest uh, image that I can give to it. things that uh, in terms of studying the scripture, this whole idea of an individual personalized relationship with Jesus and that salvation is, uh, is a very minute biblical theme. The problem is, is that um, um, in English, you singular and you plural, you don't know the difference, do you? So when, when Jesus says, I'm with you always, the you is plural. Uh, that verses in um, uh, John 3, uh, around 16, 15, all that kind of stuff about being born again and in the, in the, about, you know, you got to be born again. As people took out in terms of an individual call, it's, it's you plural. In Greek, it's really clear. There's two. So if I was to translate the NRSV or whatever it is, I would have you and y'all. So it would be, <laughs> so it would be completely clear. Uh, in terms of what these promises, it's always made that the community uh, uh, is what is is held uh, together. Yeah, individual individual responsibility. The only time in the in the New Testament uh, where it is an individual call is that if anyone wants to be my follower, let that one take up a cross and follow me. For whoever wants to lose, the one who wants to uh, save their life will lose it. And the one who's willing to lose their life for my sake will find it. That is a singular call. So we all have this. We still need to personally say which story we're going to live out of. Which one? Other. Yes, sir. Yeah, I, um, it couldn't be more timely. The message of um, living as witness to the resurrection and refusing to live by here, fear and taking everything in hope. Because after last night, it was like... I'm sure with you with Columbine, but even from 9-11, like, PTSD feelings from, like, 9-11, like, oh, my gosh, this is happening again. We're going to go to war or whatever. You know, it feels so big. That storyline feels so overwhelming. And so it's just I'm glad that we had this gathering today just to be reminded of the actual story that is. The tomb still is empty. Yes, yes. The tomb still is empty. Uh, and uh, that's, uh, I'm not trying to uh, cliche this away and say it doesn't hurt, mm-hmm. but it does say that God, we don't know how, but God will uh, 
yet, because God is always with us, that the one who has promised is faithful, uh, that in God uh, they'll bring about a, a, a new new life, a new future. Um, but that doesn't absolve us of responsibility. Thank you. Yes. How does the church community affect change? Um, like you, you were talking about the and the differences between between the churches and what people believe, mm-hmm. um, specifically um, fundamentalists that are just held you know held bent on us all going to hell. How how does a community like Lord of Life affect that change? I understand living by example and understanding understand answering questions or what have you, but I mean, how can you get a more global change when you have people that want to kill us or want to, you know, kill other people or create the biggest amount of terror that they can? How does that change come about? Uh, that, that's a very, very difficult question, but I think it goes to how do we witness to it? How do you have the kind of preaching that you have in this church with the Reverend Dr. Diego Wilson? Uh, 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 and you have just articulated my call story uh, of being in the Middle East and this is that I have great respect for many aspects of Islam, Judaism, Hinduism, Buddhism, but uh, came to the conclusion that the Christian vision is the only vision for the world that works, and I want to give my life to it. And uh, I, we, we, so um, the, the challenge is, this is not this morning's presentation, but um, um, uh, Central State Senate had me out there for three presentations to talk about how it is, and this is why people don't like to hear this, uh, uh, that we basically uh, live in an unconverted church uh, led by unconverted people. Uh, who, who, who really, you know, the, the gospel and the claims that we have, uh, we, we can say the creed and we can do all that and we show up and all that, but deep down inside we really don't believe this is true and so we want to protect ourselves at all costs. We want to protect ourselves against them. Um, uh, in the aftermath of the genocide in Rwanda, uh, before the genocide happened, 95% of Rwandans uh, identify themselves as Christian. You know, the Christians there, well, almost all were there. And uh, when the genocide was over, an emissary uh, came from the Vatican to talk to the leaders, the tribal leaders, and said, are you trying to tell me that tribal loyalty trumped your baptismal identity? And they said, yes. Uh, so, you see, so be, being, a, being, a follow, being a Christian uh, by just title or, or, or uh, label rather than being a follower of Jesus. You know, this is why I have trouble with the word Christian today. Because when you say you're a Christian to somebody, it kind of has a slimy, uh, you know, and one of the things that I'm shocked about being the president of Trinity is I don't believe in religion, and I don't believe in institutional church. And here I am, uh, the president of a 1830 institution. So what we're trying to change that, uh, because I think most religion is, is heavy-handed, uh, turns it all about us, getting God on our side, and, and all these trappings and things that end up obscuring the gospel from us and how it is supposed to live. Uh, but I, uh, we, we see through a glass dimly 
And so we do what we can. I mean, I can't control what other people can do, but I can control to a certain extent how Rick is going to respond to things and how it is that we choose to live uh, in, in this world. And uh, it's been a great blessing. It's also been a, a burden uh, after Columbine to be called on to go to different places that have experienced mass shootings. And, you know, uh, I remember, you know, six months after uh, the shootings at Virginia Tech, I'm called to address you know, an entire faith community and people. And um, all I can say is the tomb is empty. These are the kinds of things that you can expect to happen in your community, but just stay uh, stay focused because the one who uh, has promised is faithful. Uh, 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 but, um, I mean, we could change some laws and do some things like that, but we can't change people's hearts. I guess that's what I was asking, is it's very difficult to change people's hearts and the way they feel. And sometimes their solutions are worse than the problem. <laughs> but but this, this is how the church got going. T- tell me what your name is. Joni. Joni. Joni, this is how the church got going. The infant church got going and began to explode even under terrible Roman occupation. That was brutal. It got going not because somebody stood up on a soapbox with a megaphone talking about Jesus, okay, this is three syllables, uh, but that, but that uh, people began to look at this community. They actually love each other. They actually have each other's backs. They, they worship they, uh, a, 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 a Jesus that loves all people. They accept all people. Uh, they share with one another. And what they would say is, is I want to be like them. Then they would come in. And so I think um, just from last exa- the last congregation we served, Epiphany Lutheran Church in Sewanee, Georgia, we had people coming to the church who were friends with people in our church who wanted to know what happened to them because they want to be like them. And, and I don't know, again, that's servant leadership, leadership by inspiration rather than by megaphone, by, ident- by example. So that's a different way of servant leadership. Yes, ma'am. I, um, I'm trying to form my question or thought, but you kind of said it when you said something about uh, our church is filled with Unconverted, mm-hmm. is that what you said? Yep. So as a, as a pastor, how do you inspire, hope, pray people to become converted? Shower them with the gospel. Shower them with the gospel. Uh, information doesn't bring about transformation. This is the problem that we have where we've gotten, you know. Uh, uh, and this is the problem with seminary education. I mean, to be a follower of Jesus, I mean, Jesus didn't put people in classrooms and say, okay, we want you to read textbooks, listen to lectures, watch videos, and write papers. Uh, this, is, this is not, you know, uh, uh, I, I, uh, I haven't been able to do much since I became the president of Trinity, but I, I love fly fishing. I'm pretty good at it. But I couldn't anymore teach you how to fly fish in a trout stream by showing you videos, having reading textbook, and, 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 and taking exams. How do I have to have, I've got to take you by the hand and take you to the stream. This is how you hold the rod. This is how you tie a fly on. This is how you read the stream. This is what you do. And so um, uh, in Matthew 6, Jesus says something that's just very, very, very important. You know, the whole call is repent and follow me, which means to give up this. See, when I mean conversion, I don't mean Pat Robertson. I mean being converted, being repenting, and following. 
I mean that. And, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a daily a challenge. Uh, but what it means uh, to be able to do that um, is that uh, uh, Jesus says where your what is. No, he doesn't. See, you get it all wrong. Everybody thinks this. It's not where your heart is. It's that people think it's where your heart is, there also will be your treasure. No. People say, if I could just preach you into generosity, if I could just get your heart right, you'd be a follower of Jesus. Uh, no. It's where your treasure is, there you'll find your heart. Which says, why don't you act and put your life on the line for Jesus and watch what happens? So you show people how to give. You take out your checkbook. This is what your income is. And you sit down and you say, this is how we do it. Why don't you try this? You know, there's not. Uh, we don't have tithers anonymous. Uh, one, I mean, once people uh, uh, know how uh, the joy of giving, they don't know. And so you show people how to forgive. You show people how to serve. Uh, and so it is, uh, when I was a, a pastor, um, you... If, if you were a couple and you got into trouble, I could send you down the hall and Doug Hill would do, you know, rational emotive behavior therapy. And or Chad Merlin Hartzler was great. He was a, um, a hospice chaplain and would go through all these kinds of things. I could do some family systems and some stuff, Myers-Briggs. But at the end of the day, I would say, why don't you go home and act like you love each other and come back and see me in six weeks? Uh, that when we when we fall in love with Jesus, this is why spiritual disciplines you know, when your pastor stood up here and said about praying, you'll fall in love with the person you talk with. I mean, so this is why spiritual disciplines, uh, you know, uh, uh, when Paul wraps up all of these letters with these ethical imperatives, he never tells people to go out, read a book, write a paper, uh, uh, you know, here's your seven-point memo, your plan, your strategic plan. He says, love one another. Pray without ceasing. Do good to those who want to hurt you. Uh, uh, be generous. Uh, all of these things that he says to us, uh, and that it's, it's when our treasure, uh, then transformation happens to us because we discover uh, this hidden treasure because we've become a follower of Jesus um, and we don't know anything other than that. That it is in the doing. You know, the, uh, Luke 17. Ten lepers come up. Jesus, help us! And he says, uh, uh, go, and show, you know, uh, go and show yourselves to the priests. They haven't been cleansed, but how did they get cleansed? By going. Uh, uh, read, read Matthew 28. Um, now the eleven went to the why is there eleven? Judas. Uh, now the eleven went to the mountain uh, to which Jesus had directed them, and when they saw him, uh, the, 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 our English translations say, when they saw him, uh, they fell down in worship, but some doubted. That is a mistranslation. The fabulous Evan Cameron here, who is Greek scholar extraordinary, uh, <laughs> uh, would be able to tell you that the text says they doubt it. But see, we just can't tell people that. So when we translate that, we can't let people know that all these wonderful people we name churches after, St. Peter, St. John, St. James, uh, St. Matthew, 
that when they saw the risen Lord, they all doubted. And you say, well, how in the world can people doubt Jesus and worship at the same time? Well, have you ever been in a Lutheran church? So, uh, so, so, what does Jesus say to them? Go back to confirmation. Read Luther's explanation of the creed. What does he say to them? All authority in heaven has been given to me. Go. And it's in the going that the transformation happens. If we sit around and we're waiting for the magic book, this is why I know I'm. A, this is why you go into the Barnes. You go into Barnes and Noble bookstore. Where's the self-help section? Right next to the religious and spirituality section, where we've turned God into a program. And every several months, there's another. I mean, it is flourishing. Go, go just Google, get God on my side, your best life now. I mean, reading all these books, we ought to be in nirvana by now. Uh, but you can't, you can't do this by reading and studying. You have to do it by doing uh, and, and taking Jesus at his word that says, uh, how, how often am I supposed to forgive my brother or sister? Seven times? No, seven times 70. So, anyway, I've gone way over. It would have been helpful if we could have got somebody who was passionate to speak. <laughs> <laughs> not anybody who really believed in what they were saying. So, uh, so we're going to take a break. Uh, about 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Be back at uh, 30. Uh, we'll see you then. Okay. All right. Thank you.